Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sofen. In the Smart Firefighting Podcast, we cover technology and innovation trends across public safety. Here in this mini-series from the recent Innerschutz show at Hanover, Germany in June 2022, we bring you more than 12 episodes from the show floor. We have a lot of amazing speakers, and I'm really excited for all your feedback from this content. I find myself asking everyone to paint a picture in these episodes quite a bit, so bear with me, because it was really hard to fully capture the Innerschutz event in words. A key message that we hear multiple times throughout this podcast is that in order to innovate in public safety, we must ask questions and listen to first responders. We've got two ears and one mouth, so let's use them accordingly. This episode of Smart Firefighting is brought to you by Flame Systems. Flame offers fully immersive virtual reality training solutions for training in hazardous and emergency situations. This allows first responders to learn how to fight fires in safe, realistic, and dynamic virtual environments. Visit flamesystems.com to learn more. Here in this chat, you will hear from Mahanad Awad, the Chief Business Officer at Concord Cordex Group based in the United Arab Emirates. Mahanan and I immediately connected on all things life, community, and passion for public safety. Mahanan encourages everyone to think outside the box when it comes to innovation and why the innovation process must be driven from the customer perspective. We'll cover all aspects of history, such as the Grenfell Tower in the UK and the impact of emails on modern day business, and most importantly, we cover the importance of listening and curiosity. Always embrace that childlike curiosity and cherish your time. Make sure to check out concord.cordex.com to learn more, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Sitting here on the inner shoots floor in Hanover, Germany, alongside Mahanen Awan. Mahanen, absolutely. How are you? I'm okay. How are you, Kevin? I am doing quite well. So... For those of us that aren't here, besides me and you, we're here in the flesh after all things COVID, here, gratefully here in Hanover. Paint a picture on what Innerschutz is like to you and what this week has been like for you. First and foremost, my, I've got a pain in my right shoulder because I haven't been standing this long for a really, really long time. It's unfortunate, but this is probably only the second major show that we've done since the COVID has been down. And that pain in my shoulder is because I'm getting used to the fact of working these straight shows again. One word, it's just been awesome, honestly. It's been so nice to reconnect with people. It's been so nice just to have the face-to-face interaction. I think, you know, some of the things we can be thankful for and uh, with COVID is the use of uh, technology such as collaborative technology like Microsoft Teams and Zoom, which now we've learned to live with as a day-to-day and how it's become an accepted part of uh, how we do business. But you very quickly realize the limitations of such technology. That being, nothing will ever, ever replace pe- people sitting with each other, vibing out, off each other, really getting to listen well, instead of th- looking into a two-dimensional screen. I miss that. You know, I had a lot of time to understand my kids better because I'm spending so much more time at home with them. You know, pre-corona, I was flying probably 100 days a year. And that was a whole different lifestyle. Now I've realized probably I didn't have to fly as much because you can finish a lot of that stuff, you know, using the traditional, now traditional, you know, collaborative software like Teams and stuff. But there is still that element. And yeah. tra- this Rachel kind of certified that for me. We right. had a couple of targets. We uh, had a lot of South American inquiries and we've achieved to find potentially some distributors for South American markets so we can fill 
fulfill our end users' requirements. Reconnected with all our partners, such as Darley, uh, who's a very good partner of ours, and uh, it was nice to reconnect with them face to face after such a long time. Yeah, it's just it ticked all the boxes, Kevin. I love to hear that, and I would have to also agree with that in terms of seeing all the different partners from around the world that Darley has a lot of these deep rooted relationships with from probably 40, 50 different countries that came by here, all interested in different aspects of technology, and really just excited to embrace new tech, exploring some of the new virtual reality tech, some of the new software, some of the new electric pumps. It's been really special. And to your point about meeting here in person, I had only known you by a name on an email. I see emails through all the time, Mahanad, but I didn't know who you were. I didn't know what your face looked like. I never, just before right, we started press and record, we had a 20 minute long conversation <laughs> and I'm really grateful for it because it was really amazing to hear your perspective, you. to, know, so to get inside your shoes a little bit. And one thing you talked about was curiosity. I think curiosity is a winning business strategy and something that we all mm. need more of. What are you curious about right now in regards to fire mm. service or something that sparked your curiosity here? Oof, good question. I see, I'm not going to talk specifically about what I saw at the show because there's, you know, let me jump to one point first before I go into yeah, the curious number. So some of the things that differentiate my organization, which is Bristol Fire Engineering, we are really driven by customer requirements. And I always believe that innovation should be driven from a customer challenge. So being able to listen to your customer, and this is not just like a key word or a token word that should be used around, because you hear that, you know, we listen to our customers. No, really listening. I mean, really understanding what is the challenges. And it could be something simple. It could be to their operators. It could be to the guys that are part of the command and control strategy. It could be to the typical firefighter, the uh, you know, pump operator. Each one of them has their own unique challenges and them being specialists in their own jobs, you know, they've got the horse blinders on. And our challenge is really to try to have that helicopter view to tie them all together. And, you know, I have a lot of customers where their right hand doesn't even talk to their left hand. And since I'm visiting them on so many, you know, ver of their own verticals, I suddenly realize, hey, they've got a common thread here. And if I can help them innovate with something, it'll make all their lives easier. It'll make this person's life easier, which will make this person's life easier. And that's really what it's about. You know, it's making people's life easier. And that's either through cost savings or time savings. You know, we're all about cost, time, impact. Curiosity is a cool one, man, dude. Curiosity is the, when you use the word curiosity, I think of myself being selfish. And that's when I don't think of my customer's interest anymore. I, and I can think a little bit beyond that, you know, because when I'm curious, I think, okay, maybe he's not complaining or this is not a challenge for him today. But I wonder sooner than later, this could be something that will be relevant. This will be something that will be, a, you know, because I'm always thinking in terms of technology, because I'm always, you know, I'd like to be one of those advocates where I want technology to solve somebody's problem. I don't want to invent you know, the, the pen that's going to work in space. A pencil can do that job. You know, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. But I want to be the person that has that simple solution for a problem that when it comes, yeah, we've already done that for you. And that is a little bit of selfishness because then I can go on a free tangent and maybe think even a little bit further than what my customers' needs are. Does that make sense? It does. And I think being selfish in some situations is not a bad thing. I have heard this phrase before and I live by it. I am selfish about being selfless. And I think when you wow. take your mindset of putting 
your customer, putting your friends, putting your family, particularly your end user and who you're supporting first about trying to do whatever you can to listen, understand what their problems are, Absolutely. reverse engineer solutions. It's not, not a bad way to live your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, listening was a skill that I learned recently, unfortunately. I learned it maybe in my late 20s, early 30s. I, I, you know, earlier before in the podcast, you know, I said that youth is wasted on the young. I, as I'm getting into my 40s, I realize my energy level, you know, my knees make funny noises, my shoulders make funny noises. And I suddenly realized that so many things, either from a working perspective, working with colleagues, working with partners, could have been so much easier if I was a better listener earlier in my life, if that makes any sense, you know? And then, you know, that quiet leadership kind of comes slowly but surely, but it shouldn't take away from passion. And when you know, you really know that this is the right way and you need to have a push-through moment with your own team, with even your, sometimes your customers, that I'm, I need to push through and I need them to get to see that light, even though sometimes people think you're absolutely nuts, you're crazy, you know? The thing is, you, you can't be magnanimous when you're right. That's dangerous because then you'll become arrogant, you know? You have to kind of seek to turn that into a learning lesson, Yes, honestly, you know? And I think that's a whole true servant leadership in terms of the fact that your wins are your team's wins. Absolutely. Your losses are your fault. 100%. And I'll take that. It's fine, you know? <laughs> Wow, dude, this is deep. That is something that I live and die by now because the best way to really, you know, and I have learned this from mentors. I've learned this from people who mentored me. It would boggle my mind when it was so obvious that it was my fault and somebody would step in and take responsibility for it. And that saved to my ego, especially when you're young and a little bit, you know, let's say energetic, you know, that was, you know, doing that now in return and passing it down, I think it's critical, you know, and, and that's how you really mentor entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I swear to you. you, you need people to make mistakes, but they have to, they have to understand that that mistake is a, is, it should be utilized into a learning curve. Even when they're with customers, use that opportunity to rebuild their reputation, rebuild their, you know, their product integrity, whatever the case may be. And this is honestly why I love working with Darlia. I swear to you, and I'm not saying this because I'm on your podcast or anything like this. I've used you guys as an example, as an organization that takes a very hard look critically. And again, doesn't use token keywords. You know, a lot of companies will like to use, you know, key catchphrases and all that stuff. But Darlia does something right. And that's a testament by the fact that you're like, what, fourth generation now? Mm. And, you know, and what is it? You know, when you go to MBA, they tell you most companies fail in what third generation? I think third generation. Yeah. You know, if, um, ah, definitely, without a doubt. I think you guys are onto something. You have that culture where everybody's accountable. And at the same time, criticism is really appreciated. You know, it's really constructive feedback is very much appreciated. It's not, again, token words or catchphrases. Yep. And one thing you mentioned earlier was ego. And one thing we talk about a lot in the smart firefighting community and fostering innovation is checking your ego at the door. Oof. There's a lot of... Especially in an industry that's old. Very much so. There's that phrase, a lot of people don't like to hear it, of 100 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. And there's a lot of people who don't like it, and I don't necessarily say I agree with it, but the idea is that we have his- history, we have current problems, and there is a big pie for everyone in serious problems. How do we work and be an individual piece of the puzzle check your ego at the door to collaborate. And a lot of the problems I see right now with incident command, 
with smart buildings. There's all these different key macro firefighting buzzwords. So a lot of companies that want to control everything end to end. But there's a need to, you know, a firefighter or a fire chief or a fire service, whether it's industrial or oil or a firefighter, they can't have 100 tablets. They can't have 100 different widgets. They need to have a centralized command platform. They need to have some of these centralized, streamlined data integration services. But there's a lot of ego still. I do think there's a lot of companies that have checked the ego at the door. But I want to expand on that with you. Of What's your thoughts on innovation in the fire service or innovation in the built environment for the fire service? How would you, what would you say to fellow innovators about how they should think about innovating within the fire industry? You know, wow, dude, very, very, wow. You're, you're making, you're putting me on my toes, man. I swear to you, this end that's, of the day. That's what but, we're here for. No, but I'm enjoying this. I really am. Good. Again, let me take a couple of steps back. because yeah, I'm not very smart. So I, I like to, you know, kind of. Smart people <laughs> like to discredit themselves. No, so. no, dude, I'm telling you straight <laughs> up. So again, I am very lucky that uh, my organization is part of a larger company, Concord Cordage Group. Yeah, actually, give it, before we get going, <laughs> before we get going, only 12 minutes in, who is, what company do you work okay. for? Give so, us a quick little elevator pitch. Oh, Two-minute pitch. So my dad started this company in 1974. My dad is not an engineer, and this is important because uh, he is probably one of the most uh, vicious entrepreneurs I've ever seen in my life. Absolute gutsy, gutsy, gutsy human being. And he has a, oh wow, he has an unimpeded curiosity. That's a beautiful you know? thing. Uh, really. And you know, he's one of those guys that he'll meet anybody, sit with anybody, will give him his time of day, listen to him. And then, you know what, he's a connector, he's a networker. He's v very much reminds me of Jim Weagle. You know, it's that old age where there was no internet. They still had to go to the embassy to look up the trade shows, travel back and forth. You know, telex was a big, big breakthrough. And then fax machines just changed the game, man. Emails, wow, that was like, whoa, what can you do now, you know? But, you know, myself, I came later in the business, but dad basically started the business in, uh, as a firefighting company where he was basically filling CO2 uh, extinguishers. And that was early 70s, 1974. And then he got into uh, chemicals. So he started buying sulfuric acid that were being used in desalination plants. So the company was based in Abu Dhabi and also Qatar. Then he opened a facility in Dubai in 1981. And slowly, you know, it grew into a 1,200 person organization, which we are today. The core activities is firefighting and we're all vertically integrated. So we are, uh, we still have value added trading as I would like to call it. So we buy and sell something and we're reps and distributors. Uh, we've been distributors for Holmatro rescue equipment since the early 80s distributors for Bristol uniforms for 45 years. You know, the name Bristol is actually Bristol Fire Engineering, which is our OEM arm that manufactures under our name is because my pops was uh, a good friend from the original owner of Bristol uniforms. And I think they used to party together in the late mm -hmm. 70s in London, you know, with the big uh, shoehorn sideburns and the, those big pants. I don't even know what they're called. Bell bottoms? Bell bottoms. Bell bottoms, yeah. Flares. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, yeah, you know, my brother and I, we joined the company early 2000. Uh, Firas joined one year before me. I'm a chemical engineer by training. I have also a double major in environmental science. I did both my majors in five years. I liked school. Uh, and I was telling you earlier before we switched on the mic, I actually wanted to get into history and political science because I had 
deep ambition and thoughts and passion of creating an equal world, you know? And then my dad basically said, listen, you know, you must like being poor for the rest of your life. Why don't you do something with the math and chemistry that you like? Because I had a big passion for math and a big passion for chemistry. So chemical engineering was just the right fit for me. And environmental sciences, because I used to like scuba diving a lot. And actually, when I first graduated, I started working for IBM Canada. I was involved in their software division. I worked a lot with predictive model controllers, which is basically uh, predictors of uh, behavior of any type of algorithm, which is the basis of AI, if you want to call it now. And this was a lot of intricate math, Fourier systems, Laplace transforms, and all of that stuff. And one of my guys, one of my professors, not guys, he's a good friend of mine now, knew this research I was working on. I said, hey, listen, I know somebody at IBM that would like this research. And so I used to predict uh, customer buying behavior for IBM's middle, uh, middleware software division. And it was crazy. And then my mom called me up and said, hey, listen, uh, you're an engineer. Your dad has this big company. Why don't you come work for him? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to work with my pops. You know, he's a smart guy. And, you know, I'm scared I'll, I'll argue with him. And then she hung up the phone. And like, I thought to myself, he said, you know what? Maybe I need a shift. I need a change. So I went and I started, uh, I remember within a week I quit. My boss was really upset. He's like, Mohanad, anything you want? I'm like, Rick, honestly, it's, it's just, I, I want to go see my family. I miss my family. So this was in 2005. And it was the best thing we ever did. You know, dad at that time, our company was about 400 people. But I saw an unbelievable opportunity in the United Emirates with the way the pace the country was going. You know, they still haven't built 80% of the infrastructure that you see now crazy skyscrapers, you know, the Burj Khalifa was still not even on somebody's drawing yet, you know. It was the right time for somebody that had the right energy. And that's when my brother and I, and my brother being the better engineer than I am, he's the operations guy, he's the, he's the detail-oriented guy. I'm kind of the product lifecycle guy. I'm the guy that sees an opportunity, builds the revenue for it, and then I, need, I get somebody who's more detail-oriented that can run it after that, you know. And then I move on what I think is the emerging technology. Long story short, we moved into manufacturing, and that's why we Bristol Fire Engineering. At that time we started, it was light extinguishers, uh, cabinets, trolleys, pumps, and then, you know, with an incredible team. Like, honestly, if you ask about us, you'll know we have some of the smartest people in the industry, and I'd like to say the best, you know, one of the lowest turnover employees, because really we kept the essence of what a family business is like. We understand when you're a leader, there has to be a sacrifice of time. Your work-life balance has to be carefully evaluated, but at the same time, there's a cost to be accessible to everybody, and you have to accept it. Tell me, tell me when you want to cut me off, dude. No, I can no go you're, go. you're spitting fire, and thank you for that context. And I'm the. So that's that, my background. So we build everything vertically integrated in firefighting, from fire pumps, fire trucks, fire suppression systems, fire doors, extinguishers, trolleys, everything. Does that make sense? Very much so. So now to parlay that into your thoughts on innovation in the fire service now. What are your thoughts and maybe what, what are some of your messages to aspiring entrepreneurs or those trying to innovate within the fire sector? I can give you a regional perspective because most of my end user base or let's say the fire service base that I'm catering to comes out of the Middle East. We work a lot in North Africa. We work a lot in Asia. But what we see, for example, a very simple example, fluorine-free foam is a big thing now in the United States, a big thing in Europe. You know, that part of the world is a regulation-driven industry. 
and foams, obviously everybody knows it's a writing in the wall that fluorine is going to go. You know, it's going to be fluorine-free foams and that's it. So you've got a huge captive market there and you've got to, you know, you have fixed systems that need to be reconfigured. Well, the application rates change now because you lose, you know, the nice thing about fluorine and this background in chemical engineering is that it has that nice covalent bond that develops a very nice aqueous film for its vapor suppression and allows you know, excellent drain time, and it's it's just the make. It's what really made foam what it is, a triple F. That is. So now you're going back to these kind of, you know, synthetic foams that need to deliver and give you the same performance. That's important in Europe. That's important in the United States. Middle East will be four years after, five years after you guys put the regulations. We're still dealing with our own issues. You saw in the UAE, you know, with the cladding fires and these, you know, I call them vertical brush fires. That was a big issue that you didn't see anywhere else necessarily in the world until Grenfell happened. And then, then it's kind of, hey, you know, we have this issue. You know, what are we putting on the outside of these buildings? What's the fire, associated fire behavior that comes with that? So a lot of innovation came out of these. And again, it goes back earlier to what I said. That's where I truly believe that innovation should be driven. Now, the really hard part is actually preventive fire engineering. That's, that's when you got, those are the guys that you know, they have to think truly out of the box because they're going to go ahead and forecast the issues that will prevent mass disasters, mass issues, because, okay, where's, how is this part of my HAZOP analysis? How is this part of my safety analysis? And they truly have to be out-of-the-box thinkers. And that collides with a hundred-year-old tradition, as we say. You know, no, 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 we've been doing this, this the whole way and We'll never have that problem. We'll never have that vertical fire going up the side of a building. We'll never have that issue. Fab innovation, in my opinion, should always be driven by a necessity. That necessity being obviously an existing problem. But once you see something that you know is outside the box of what is in your toolkit, you got to think out of the box. You can't. You you gotta. You know. You gotta get into helicopter view and try to find a way to be able to solve that problem without the usual paradigm, that box that we all sit in, which is hard because we are creatures of comfort, regardless of what anyone says. It's difficult for you to think out of the box. You're scared, we're scared. Well, everyone is scared of change. But then you kind of get a buzz out of it once you start experiencing it enough, 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 enough. And those are real social entrepreneurs, man, thought entrepreneurs more than anything. Yeah. Mohanan, so many things that I know we could keep going. I know we have Dude, so much so limited sorry, time. I'm so sorry, man. You got to no, no, cut me off. Give me a signal, stand signal, I still anything. have a couple of key questions I need to ask. But Just tell, really, tell me to be quiet if you want to say, Mohanan, yeah. you're talking too much. You're rambling. No, do more. Do less. Okay. Do nothing. Do everything. Go, go, go. No, I, I liked your thinking or what you said about we can never say never because it's the, the Boy Scout mentality of expect the best, but prepare for the worst. And when thinking about preventative fire engineering to response, first responders, all this works together from the built environment to the city to first responders working within this environment. And we now have these different new challenges that we face, obviously in UAE and Dubai, how fast the city has grown, but even still looking at the rise of electrical cars to electric storage at homes, the solar panels, what, what threats does that play? To looking at no longer using foam, which we've used for how many years? So stuff is changing, and now we're needing to respond to that change. And you've been a leader and innovator within Thank your you. market. Do you have any example? And I know you know, one I, I know off the top of my head from what you've done with virtual reality, but maybe expand upon how you have brought technology into the market, and maybe if you could elaborate too on how you've done oh, that with virtual okay. reality. Okay, uh, like look, I'll start with the low-hanging fruit, flame. That was like a no-brainer, honestly. It just 
everything about it made sense. Everything. From the minute we first saw it, we were like, wow, okay, this is something really, really special, you know? You know, I initially met James through Jim and man, dude, Dr. James, whatever, he's, whoa, he's whoa, a, whoa. An awesome like, guy. dude, that dude is like a Trekkie wrapped Dr. in a lumberjack. Dr. Jack. Dr. Yeah. James Mullins. Oh, yeah. I mean, that dude is a Trekkie wrapped up in a PhD and, you know, with a lumberjack firefighter volunteer. Like, dude, he's a superhero. Who are we he kidding? Is. Honestly, man. He's a cool guy. If, uh, when they first came to Dubai and I, you know, I really felt we had to go big with this tech and we invested, we, you know, we took a big section out of it because I, we, we knew it, it this is, this is the future, you know, and this was before metaverse was announced or any of this stuff, you know, you could feel it. You could feel that this was something different, you know, and then a lucky coincidence happened, COVID, you know, we exhibited this technology in January 17th of 2019 and Dubai was in lockdown by end of March and it was Ramadan. And I remember that was the toughest Ramadan, you know, and at that time I even decided myself, because, you know, you know, we, we were reusing face masks at that time. There was a scarcity of face masks, you know, and everybody went through the same thing, regardless which part of the world you were in. So that technology became relevant, even more relevant, because all of a sudden you had people that need to get trained, people that need to, you know, fires weren't gonna stop. You know, there was actually some statistics that were coming out, not. I don't think out of my region, but they showed you there was an uptick in electrical fires, house residential fires, just because people are spending more time at home, using more electrical equipment and all that stuff. So it's overloading their panels and everything, you know? Uh, that was a no-brainer, honestly. That was an easy one. Some of the other innovative stuff that we've done is we were watching the market with regards to the use of custom chassis in the region. You know, custom chassis was something that was used a lot in, especially in our oil and gas companies, because you had a migration of thought coming out of the oil and gas industry in the United States. And, you know, especially in the likes of Saudi, they would go with these big pumpers. They would be ready to do full surface fire application using, you know, either 10, uh, 10 liters and above per square foot. However, there was an issue where the custom chassis suppliers were struggling on the servicing component, even though, you know, you know, the transmission was an Allison transmission, which could be serviced by anybody. There was still an issue there. There was still an issue. So we said, well, wait a second. Why don't we build an NFPA 1901 American looking fire truck that's on a commercial side of sea, like a Mercedes? Wouldn't that hit two birds with one stone? You know, they can then take it to a Mercedes or Scania dealership. But at the same time, you know, it's going to have that complete arsenal, you know, of, you know, laying away hose, layaways, uh, you know, big gun, midship mounted pump. And we had a willing customer, a customer who struggled. And he said, yeah, I'll buy that. You know, so we built one for him. We decided to call it Shalal. It's called the waterfall. And, you know, this thing was, you know, 10,000 gallons per minute. It had a nice big remote control monitor, a triple agent powder foam. I mean, it was a beast. And, it, and the water gateway was about 10,000. You could flow literally 10,000 gallons per minute if you wanted to through that bloody thing, wow. you know? And that was when we realized, hey, this is something. This is something really catered for our region because customers want that. And then we had the likes of the Saudis call us. We had the likes of the Kuwaiti. No, hey, yeah, I have the same problem. Can you solve this for me? Can you solve this for me? And that's like the, I call it the technology domino effect because usually, you know, when that type of challenge is in a regional level, you'll find somebody else, if you're listening well enough, you're talking to them well enough, will have that same type of challenge. Well, what again. I liked about what you just talked about is really listening to your customer 100%. and reverse engineering the best solution that worked for them. And you have a lot of experience in the Middle East, but that's the same concept anywhere in the world. 
and it made the, the truck demands may be different from UAE to Chile to Canada to South Africa to Japan, but it's still the same premise of talking to your customer, understanding the needs, and even here in Europe, looking at the trucks, you know, a little bit smaller footprint, a little bit more multi-use, just different trucks designed for different roads, designed for different purposes, for better, for worse, not necessarily for worse, just for different reasons, different applications. And I think it's important and, and critical to have that global lens when, when exploring innovation because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution for every different fire service in the world. But what I do appreciate about the fire service is that we all want each other to win. We all are supporting each other. There's not really any animosity in the fire markets in terms of me versus you. Everybody knows everybody. It's a small industry. It's wonderful. 100%. So from your perspective, being here at Interschutz and walking around, seeing the show, having lots of people come and, and, and meet you, what are you taking away from being here in Germany, from seeing a lot of the European fire service and European fire tech? And how can you bring that back to your home country in the UAE? I'll tell you, there is a common denominator. And this is what was nice about Entershot. It kind of demonstrated to me a common denominator in specific industries. We haven't really interacted a lot yet with the metros, with the local civil defense people, just because I've been so busy, honestly, with meetings with oil and gas companies. So one of the things that we do really well is before we sell a fire truck or a trailer or whatever the case may be, we ask dumb questions. Hey, what's your hydrant size like? How much water do you have on site? What's your application rate? What's your fire protection philosophy? Are you considering just a rim seal? Are you going to consider a full surface scenario? Are, do you, how many people do you have? I mean, worst case scenario, you sell somebody a really nifty fire truck, but it doesn't have the right type of training. It doesn't have the right type of uh, mindset to be able to have a full surface fire. And there was a common denominator. Once we started going through that same type of questionnaire, that same type of mindset of just making sure, you know, that gap, you know, that gap analysis is done first before we give you a product that A, you're going to use, and B, you're going to use well because you have the right resource and maybe use it as a building block to increase your resilience and later on get something else that will work with that appliance. We feel, we really feel that this is a universal issue because, you know, I had a guy from Ecuador who's suffering the same ring hydrant main issues that my guy in Oman is. You know, they're talking, one's talking Spanish, one's talking Arabic, but it's the same issue. And they're all struggling because the industry has the same challenges. And that was cool. That was honestly really, really, really cool. You know, you know, one of our targets at this show was to reach out to our South American clients because, you know, our reputation as somebody as a real provider for the oil and gas industry goes around. People, you know, the guy who's working in Saudi could be working in, you know, BP South America one day. And he's like, yeah, I remember these guys. They sorted out that problem that I had here. I'm going to try to give them a call and see if they have a local rep that I can work with over there. So that common denominator is there. On the fire service side, you know, I think what I saw, especially on the rescue trucks that the Germans have, was impressive. They're a different mindset. It's all about speed, hardcore into speed. You know, and I've spent a little bit of time with New York uh, New York Fire Department. I was very lucky. I know the former commissioner, Salvatore Cassiano, and I was invited to meet the guys from Rescue One. And those guys, man, holy moly. Talk about guys that are crafting tools from their hand to solve problems that they have. Honestly, some of the coolest guys are the guys I met in Rescue One. The Germans have a big emphasis on what I felt, in my humble opinion, speed, efficiency. And not saying that their American counterparts are not, but I think the, let's say the degree 
or the severity or escalation of incidents kind of change that toolkit around for you. So, you know, it's sometimes unfair. And I was thinking, I was actually talking about a colleague earlier, you know, when you say I have an American spec or a European truck, it's not true, dude. It's, it's the demographic is different. You know, the, their street sizes are different here. Their building infrastructure is different. So the, both firefighters are intelligent, man, and they've crafted and used what tools are required for them to do the job regardless. And that is an epiphany. Does it make sense? It does. And I think the way you phrased it is looking at what they're trying to accomplish and kind of how that impacts the, the design. And you talked about the German design, speed, really looking at the idea of sharing best practices and not trying to reinvent the wheel in certain ways. 100%. Which is all in, in, important. And, and we are now slowly getting kicked out of our booth. So I'm going to finish <laughs> it off with, yeah, we are. We, this is now the fifth to six days. So final question. Tell me, please. What is a mic drop slash final question, challenge, quote, or something that you could leave us with today to, to really think about? Dude, man, don't give me that. I, I can't. And you, you only, me a, and you only have, have so you much only have to more minutes to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. Dude, man. Uh, I don't know, dude. You know, we came out of COVID. Everybody had his own trauma, honestly. I think my thing in the last year has all been about mental health. I'm so happy that it's less of a taboo now to talk about mental health. I'm so happy that my generation is accepting that we have to address issues, you know, that whole tough exterior nonsense is gone, you know? And I really believe that everybody carries their own set of trauma with them, dude. You know, whether you're an industry, whether you're a firefighter that, you know, has seen something or been affected or something or how your peers treat you or how you perceive something. I think COVID has taught us something, you know, we have to be careful, take care of ourselves, take care of each other, you know, go back to basics, take care of your neighbor, check on them. How are you? Is everything okay? Ask the right questions and get out of your comfort zone a little bit, you know? Yeah, man, be kind, be good, be free, live life, dude. Honestly, it's now, you know, we were talking earlier about that, you know, as you slowly get into those years where you start realizing time is everything. So make good of your time here and be the best at what you do, whether you are a firefighter or a fire engineer. And more importantly, man, be a good human being, dude. Life goes around, dude, man. We're all on here. This is limited. You think when you're young, you're going to live forever. You know, you slip slowly and learn as you know what? You know, I want to make a positive impact, you know, whether it's uh, you leave a big tip or you, you leave some money for at an ice cream stand and tell her, make sure somebody who can't pay for it gets it or... You help a colleague out without him even knowing, dude. It's all about leaving positive energy around, you know, especially now. Especially now. We need it. We need that. Well, Mahan, you, you resemble and exemplify that in so many ways. And dude, thank kind you. Kind of mentioned before, too, and I challenge everyone. Something like I have this coin that I'm pulling out and showing Mahan it is it's memento mori. You could leave life right now. Uh, Marcus Aurelius said it. And it's not looking at death as something to be afraid of, but looking at death that gives us a sense of purpose while we're alive. 100% So. Not sweating the small stuff, doing little things like smiling at someone, paying it forward. Smiling is charity. Even the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, smiling is the cheapest form of charity you can give anybody. So give it freely, man. One other phrase I heard, and too, and not really always is chasing money, but whether it's the king or the mule driver, they both end up six feet under the ground. 100%. It's the same penthouse. Everybody's going to have the same accommodation, man. Very very much so. (laughs) I mean, it has been such, and I will just say, I'm just grateful the chance to, to be here in Hanover at Innerschutz with meeting everyone and 
meeting someone like yourself that has, you, has given me a lot of uh, insights, awesome. hope, and inspiration. Dude, so, thank you, dude, uh, that you're very, very kind. I cannot tell you that I am nothing but the sum of all the people I've ever met in my life and have had an impact on me. I nothing could, more, nothing less. Could, couldn't agree more. And I, yeah. I, I credit my, my parents, uh, my mother Absolutely. in particular, who they raised me perfectly. And I, I'm so grateful for, for, their, great, for their par- parenthood. So, awesomeness. Until next time. Thank you so yes, much. Dubai. I'll see you soon. Now. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast today. If you enjoyed what you heard and got any value, please drop us a rating, leave us a comment, or reach out to us on social media. Have a great day, and together we can advance the future of smart firefighting.